CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, this is George Lynch, and you are listening to Talking Metal. All right, guys, it is August 5th, two days late. Sorry, we always post these episodes on Tuesdays, but today is a Thursday. The cool news is the interview that is in today's show was literally recorded today at uh, 12.30 Eastern Standard Time. Uh, Actually, George was a little late calling in, so it was more like 12.40. We got a full 20 minutes with him. I probably only got through about half of my questions, but I think we got some good conversation out of George, not only about his new album, which is called Seamless. It's an instrumental guitar record, which is quite good but also about uh, his new band, The Electric Freedom. We talk COVID, we talk the Delta variant, and should bands be out there playing right now? We get into that too, so stay tuned for that with George Lynch, one of my favorite guitar players of all time. I sincerely mean that, he truly is. All right, and so without further ado, let's thank the people who make this show happen We've lost a few, which bums me out. We're trying to move forward, not backwards. So if you are available, if you're in a position where you really like this show a lot and you can afford $2 a month, please join us by pledging $2 a month on Patreon. Of course, you will get a bonus podcast every week. If you want to do $5 a month, I will mail you out a t-shirt. And we have a new patron this week. Although we lost a few, we did gain one. His name is Steph, or her name. I'm not really sure. But Steph, thanks so much for for your support here on Patreon, on Talking Metal. Yeah, so let's do this. We're going to thank each and every one of you guys who are supporting me on Patreon. First, a big shout out to those people who have been supporting us for a very long time. Metal Dan, since... July 2017. Wow, thank you, Dan. That's awesome. John Boivari, also since July 2017. You rock, John. Thank you so much. Steve Hoker, since October 2017. Mike Jones, since November 2017. Michael Street, since 2018, January 2018. Fred Rutz, since February 1st. 2018. You guys have been uh, with me for quite some time, and I do appreciate all the support. Also, guys like David Gray, James Bennett, Anthony Mackey, 
Jean-Francois, blah, Ron Keel. Yeah, that Ron Keel. You guys have been with me a long time too. So I really appreciate all the support that you guys have given me for such a long period of time. And check out Ron Keel's Patreon. He is one of my favorite metal singers. He obviously sings other genres of music too, which I've teased him about in the past, but I respect everything the guy does. He's a great talent from uh, Steeler to the Ron Keel Band to Ronnie Lee Keel. It's all good. Check out Ron Keel on Patreon. Big thanks to Steven Saylor for your support, Steven. I really appreciate that. Jason Seth, Joe Ryan, Matt Carroll, Drake, Sam Soupy, Jerry from Long Island, my main man that helps me with the podcasts on Patreon, Victor M. Ruiz. He also supports me on Patreon. Dan Gurwan. Brad Dahl, Leo Shabin from Alaska, a.k.a. Leo from Alaska, Kenny McCrimmon, Gregory Muse, Tommy Anderson, Stephen Rodriguez, Johan Erdstrom, Chris Riley, Jeremy Weltman, Andrew Miller, Mario Schrantz, Sean Richmond, Gene Eugene DX, who's been supporting me since uh, December and... When he first started supporting, he didn't want a t-shirt, but I guess he changed his mind. I just mailed that out to you. Gene Eugene DX, the medium t-shirt is on the way to you in Canada. Victor Guzman, Blue Walsh 21, Jerry from Salt Lake City, Patrick Sabin, Denny Striegel, Ed Ferguson, James Barron, Huckney Jacobson, John Simpson, who I was just texting with today, Henry Reeves, a.k.a. that Henry Reeves, Hank Reeves, who heads up Dash Vodka. Check out dashvodka.com. Alan Janssen, Seth B., Madison Hatter, Dane Damage, Adrian Kuzik, Kato Yogova, Sam Warwick. And, of course, we mentioned this person earlier, Steph, who just joined me this month. Now... Uh, a couple of you guys, um, it appears that your uh, credit card went went bad. So if you want to check that, like uh, Davin Guttner, I just mailed you a t-shirt. I'm hoping we can get your credit card corrected since you only just joined us, um, Davin. Uh, it actually, your first month did not go through. So hopefully you can, you can tweak that credit card. I did just mail your t-shirt out today. Joe Van Cherry, something wrong with his credit card too, I'm not sure. Jonathan Turner and Ralph Petrie, all having issues with their, their credit cards. So, uh, yeah. All right, let's um, get into the show right now. <laughs> Thank you for joining us here on the Talking Metal Podcast. Today's guest is George Lynch. I want to get right into this interview because it is a good one. And George has just a great new record out. It is called Seamless by George Lynch. It's actually not out yet. It is out August 20th in about 15 days from now. So definitely check it out. But before we do, I did want to mention a headline that kind of caught my eye. I don't know if this is revisionist history or not, but uh, Wendy Dio has said that, you know, there was there was no bad blood or there was no negativity between Ronnie James Dio and Ozzy Osbourne. And I don't know, having grown up through that era, I'm 
feeling that maybe this is slightly revisionist history and slightly not. And I'll tell you why, because I do think the press played it up, but I do believe there were some actual quotes from the Aussie camp, possibly even Aussie, where they kind of didn't like Dio. And I mean, I, I get it. Dio replaced Ozzy and Sabbath. Uh, you know, it, it is interesting because I do remember, if you remember the the little person, midget, I guess is what we used to call him, uh, the little person that was touring on Diary, on the Diary of a Madman tour, they were, I had read, were referring to him as Ronnie, kind of poking fun that he was short, like Ronnie James Dio, the guy who replaced Ozzy and Sabbath. I don't know if that's true. I re- remember reading that in a n- newspaper or magazine article when I was on my honeymoon like 16 years ago. I specifically remember that because I never heard that as a kid, you know, but I do remember reading that. I had this like European imported magazine on Ozzy and Sabbath. And so I don't know if that's true. But what I will tell you is true, and and this is kind of uh, interesting, a couple things. Keep the the little person named Ronnie in in mind for just a minute. But when Rudy Sarzo was on my podcast just recently on this podcast, Talking Metal, I asked him, listen, was was there bad blood between Ozzy and Dio? And he said, no, he never heard uh, Ozzy talk bad about Dio. And he never heard Dio talk bad about Ozzy. I think that's what he said. And he said he did hear Ozzy talk bad about Iomi, but not not uh, not Dio. And he actually said that Dio wrote the song The King of Rock and Roll, which I've re-listened to a lot lately, and it sounds like a positive song. There's no, there's no really negativity to the lyrics or anything. He said that song was written about Ozzy Osbourne. I never heard that stated anywhere else except when Rudy Sarzo, who just joined Quiet Riot, by the way, um, said that. So interesting. And so now here's the thing. Ian Gillen in his book specifically said that when he toured with Sabbath, which is an entertaining chapter in his book for for, for sure, excuse me, when he toured with Sabbath that they called, there was a little person who dressed up as the devil that was on the cover of the now kind of iconic cult classic record born again by black sabbath that don arden sharon's father had hired this little person to come out dressed as the little demon that was on the cover of the born again album don arden did a whole was apparently 100 percent responsible for the ridiculous stage show at least ian gillen thought it was kind of silly and ridiculous that was a part of the born again black sabbath tour so, having said that, um, Ian Gillen says that they were calling the little guy, not necessarily him, but other members of the band, Ronnie, as poking fun at their former lead singer before Gillen, Ronnie James Dio. So, I don't know if the, it made me think that somebody get their stories crossed in that magazine article that I read a long time ago where they said they were referring to the little person on the Aussie tour, the Diary of a Madman tour as Ronnie, or were both Sabbath post-Dio and Aussie post-Sabbath both referring to the little person as Ronnie. I don't know, just kind of interesting. And on a side note, in Rudy Sarzo's book, the little person 
who toured with Ozzy during the Diary of a Madman um, tour was also in the movie Blade Runner, if I remember correctly. So, so yeah, I, I thought that was kind of weird. But we know that when Dio originally left Sabbath after Mob Rules, even though, you know, again, there's been a lot of revisionist history, but they were not on good terms. They were not on good terms at all. And what's even more bizarre is, you know, Mob Rules, the great Sabbath record, which I actually just bought the the vinyl reissue of that. The uh, I guess it's what the forty year anniversary. Yeah, 40, 40 years. Yeah, it's and which is a really highly recommended. Um, but okay, so that well, I uh, lost my train of thought. Oh, when they toured for Born Again, they weren't playing one song off of that record, which I think is crazy because that record had really just came out two years earlier. It was the album before Born Again, not including the live record. So the fact that they were playing zero off of that record goes to show you that that really that record kind of got more popular as time went on. I remember getting into that album after seeing Ronnie Dio on a um on a a TV special and he I believe he played Mob Rules and and that got me interested in that song and caused me to go back to that record. So Ronnie was playing some Sabbath songs in his in his set list, but Dio or I'm sorry, Black Sabbath was barely playing anything. When they toured with Gillen in 83, the only Dio era Sabbath song they played was Heaven and Hell, which is nuts, right? They also, coincidentally, they did Smoke on the Water, which is kind of interesting, but they had Gillen in the band, so why not, right? And Gillen said that when he originally teamed up with them and the idea came that he was going to work with Iomi and Geezer, that they were going to do a bunch of Deep Purple songs and a bunch of Sabbath songs. It was going to be like a, a Deep Purple Sabbath hybrid, 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 I don't know, if you will. And that then I got got kicked to the side and it was just Sabbath and they made Gillen dress a certain way and yada, yada, yada. So, yeah, interesting, interesting times. Um, so, there you go. Just... <laughs> A little little Sabbath talk for you, right? Let's get into my interview right now with George Lynch. Man, again, I only got to half my questions with this guy, but um, nonetheless, it was a great conversation. Big thanks to Sean for hooking it up and uh, to George for talking with me. Let's have a listen right now. Hey, it's Mark Striegel of Talking Metal, and we are welcoming back to the show, Mr. George Lynch. George, how are you, man? Uh, right now, I'm good. Yesterday was, no, day before yesterday, I had like a little upset stomach thing, but tomorrow's going to be perfect. <laughs> all right, all right. And you're you're out playing some shows right now, right? You in Texas? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we're in Texas, and uh, we work our way around here for a little bit. And then we're going to Colorado and then we're going to do a week in Sturgis and then back to Texas. And then that's it for, yeah, for a couple of weeks. Cool. And I do want to talk to you about live shows in, in a minute, but first let's start off with the new album, which is out August 20th, Seamless, your first instrumental record, which I have to admit, I was surprised to hear that because I mean, for so long we've associated you with one of the, you know, 
most popular hard rock instrumental songs, Mr. Scary, but this is your first record of all instrumental from what I understand. And why, why is now the time for that after so many years? Uh, well, it's never the right time for probably just about anything. So the time picked me, I didn't pick it, so to speak, because uh, if I had waited for everything to line up, you know, the stars to align and all that, I would have never done the, done the record but um uh you know i mean i in my mind to do a kind of a you know magnum opus masterwork you know right with what you're expecting to do and people expect you to do is uh requires a lot of time resources planning and you know kind of you know unique ideas and things like that so i was thinking not that this is entirely unique I mean, there's nothing unique in the world, but I mean, I, what I was thinking was I would go to a, uh, a unique location for each song, compose it in that location, be affected by the environment, whatever, you know, a, a cave in Pakistan, or for a de- you know, a de- Joshua Tree, go to Rancho Luna, do one, uh, right. or go out to a, you know, a desert island and record one remotely, uh, you know, I don't know, all that kind of stuff, right? Uh, work with, you know, maybe write, write with different people and different environments and with different gear and that's the other thing too that i have a you know i could have done a gear thing where i just like documented every piece of gear and like every song was like you know was integral to the gear and so like for instance i have access to like um like jimmy hendrix's old amp or wow. or stevie ray's uh steel string slinger uh, uh singer i'm sorry and uh you know, really important guitars and stuff like that, you know, historically significant guitars and all that kind of stuff, you know, to tape or in studios that are renowned and have tons of history, you know, and all, all that kind of thing. And that's a pretty huge undertaking, you know, and, fi- and finding the right cats to play with and all the logistics and the travel and how are we going to record this? It's going to be a remote recording. Is it going to be to tape to so all kinds of different formats and who's going to engineer all this, and, you know, massive undertaking. What ended up happening was I wrote a record that didn't work out. That was supposed to be just a regular rock record. And I was just sitting on it and I thought, what am I going to do with this? And the label guy says, well, why don't you try instrumentalizing it? And I thought at first, now that's, that's dumb. And this stuff wasn't written for that. So, but then, I tried it actually over the next couple of weeks, just messing around and it was actually fun and, and it worked for the most part. So I said, you know what, I'll do this. So I did the exact opposite of what I, in my mind, I had thought I would have to do to make an instrumental record. It was sort of more of a happy accident situation. Right on. And I do want to talk about some of the specific songs off the record. I mean, obviously I mentioned the song, Mr. Scary earlier, anybody who's coming to this record thinking they're going to get songs that sound like that will be definitely surprised because it's uh, nowhere close to that. I mean, it opens up with quiver and for the first two minutes of this song, like I, I almost get like more of a Tom Morello meets almost like Jeff Beck or something vibe. Can you talk a little bit about that song and coming up with the riffs and the ideas for the song? I mean, well, I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head. It was definitely a, a, a tribute, if not a rip, of Tom Morello, for sure. You know, I mean, anytime you step on the whammy pedal, you're going to be associated with Tom Morello because he pretty much owns that space. Uh, but that's okay. You know, I love Tom. I love Tom on it on a, uh, all kinds of levels, you know, not just his, his musicianship and his songwriting, but his, his politics too. I'm, I'm a huge friend and a fan. And so, uh, I'm 
feel privileged to be able to channel or emulate him in any way. So that was, yeah, I call that a tribute to Tom and it's very effective, you know, and he started, he's, you know, kind of does some really tricky things with, you know, uh, effects and guitars that are, uh, um, you know, I think reproducible and, and worthy of reproduction, you know, I Absolutely. mean, you know, anytime we play any technique, somebody did it before us, you know, <laughs> somebody taps, somebody vibrato, somebody arpeggiated, you know, somebody economically picked or alternately picked or whatever effect you're using, you know, somebody did it before, even if it was an accident, did it before you did it. So, um, yeah, that's what that was. And then, you know, throughout the record, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I've never learned any songs or techniques verbatim from anyone. You know, I never sat down with a record and go, oh, I'm going to pick apart how, you know, Eric Clapton played that solo. I can never play anybody's solo note for note, including my own. But I can play in the spirit of, so I sort of absorb by osmosis what they're implying, and then I integrate that into what I'm doing, and I can kind of channel that a little bit. And that's what I am doing probably throughout this, right, in my whole guitar life. That's kind of the philosophy of my right. playing. Right on. Um, the song, I think, love this, how it starts with that muffled guitar, more distant sound. And then, you know, when it kicks in, with the guitars and the band and everything, you can really feel the production of the, the song and the album at that point. Um, I wanted to ask you about that because I know you produce the record. How does it differ from being a guitar player, songwriter, as to being a producer? Well, the production credit in this case isn't, what I would consider what a producer would, you know, be known for if you're, a, you know, a world famous producer, what they do. I mean, when you're a musician in a rock band and you're a guitar player, you're a producer. If you're doing records, I mean, if you're worth your salt, you know, you're, you're deciding on sounds, you're deciding on arrangements and compositions, you're making compositional decisions and you're uh, how things are recorded. Uh, a lot of times our producers on projects are just the guys that deal with logistics, you know, and the right. engineers would be more responsible for some of that stuff that we just talked about, mentioned. So, you know, producer is a pretty broad title. It could mean a lot of things. I've worked with producers that have done virtually nothing in the studio. <laughs> so in that case, I'm a great producer because I can do nothing very well. Um, <laughs> no, but I, I mean, I've got my hands in everything. I mean, it's my record, so I'm dealing with everything from A to Z, soup to nuts, logistics, funding, hiring, you know, band crew and engineers and and dealing with the scheduling and, and all that boring, you know, bookkeeping stuff and housekeeping and then, um, you know, running the sessions and keeping track of everything or keeping it organized. Um you know, there's a lot to do with it behind the scenes, obviously, when you're doing a record. And so that's producing. And then, of course, I'm obviously writing the songs and making the decisions about that and the instrumentation and how things are played and approached and the sound, you know, the tones we're getting and so forth. So, and, you know, mix approvals and sequencing and mastering and all this stuff. I mean, you know, so I guess that's being a producer, I guess. Yeah, right on. And and that song I just mentioned, I think, which I think is my favorite, no pun intended, off the record. Uh, the three about three minutes in, you go into this really trippy kind of 
at times beautiful soundscapey type of thing. Can you talk about that? Are those all guitar sounds? Because at times it almost sounds like I'm hearing vibes or steel drums in there. Everything was triggered by a guitar. Wow. That's the, kind of the point of it. Yeah. And I do this whole. All that was, was actually Jimmy and uh, Jimmy Deanna and I were, were initially working together at his studio on writing songs that we thought was going to be an album, you know, a, a lynch mob album or something. And we worked for a few days together and we came up with some ideas and that was one of them. Um, and that whole centerpiece, uh, we just played it. Uh, we just came up with it. It was, it was, <laughs> It wasn't even rehearsed. Uh, we hadn't even talked about it. I just started, we were just jamming a lot. And that was a whole jam piece that we did that we built on. We just kept that intact. And then we, I added all the other parts on my own later. And he came, you know, so was, I, was like, I can't exactly remember what I played. Right. Yeah. <laughs> So, so that's not exactly yeah. right. kind of in that vein and right. I done that and some other little bits around it and then we just and then then i thought i'm just gonna make this i'm gonna orchestrate this and make it dramatic and emotional and you know peaks and valleys and and uh found all kinds of cool effects that did different things caribbean steel drums and synthy kind of pedals and chase bliss stuff that i that I use, you know, I like, all, I like really weird, quirky pedals, you know, Chris, we have all the basics, you know, all of us have, you know, the modulation pedals and the, and the echoes and delays and fuzz and distortion and chorus and, you know, wallet pedals, stuff like that. And, but then, you know, I've got lots of other just weird stuff and they do one weird thing and that's it. You can never use it yeah. twice. Some of it's homemade. Some of it's just like, doesn't have a name on it or just goofy shit or, really strange combinations you know you get creative with like like say a sustainiac into a whammy pedal which you pitch up or down let's say pitch it up into a ring modulator i'll just throw those three out there you know what i mean right yep and, and with tweaking on that you can and and the ring modulator let's say you have a uh expression pedal mounted on it so then wow now you got two pedals and you get all these controls and you can do you know you just just go nuts you know and that's right. what we did we were just and that what took that's what took the most time writing the songs didn't you know and even playing the solos didn't take that much time it was really kind of figuring all that transcendental ear candy layering and stuff that that's just takes a lot of experimentation and imagination right on it, it's awesome and again we're talking with george lynch the album is Seamless, Rat Pack Records. It will be out August 20th, guys, so definitely check it out. And do you use Kempers or dial-in amp sounds, or are you pretty traditionally going through, like, old-school amps? No Kemper, no. I, I used uh, just old old amps. Uh, yeah, I got a pretty uh, fun amp set up in my studio that I've had for almost 20 years now, and I've just been fine-tuning it over the years. So I have a switching system where I can switch to any amp on the fly uh, into a common cabinet that's mic'd up with a Royer 121 and usually a second mic, which I may or may not use, which could be 57 or, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, just, you know, typical mics that most guitar players use in studios now. 
nothing fancy there. Um, once in a while, I use a little room, and I've got it uh, usually going through uh, either a basket weave or um, a Marshall, you know, old tree roller Celestian basket right. weave, or uh, I've got some old high watts that I love too. And uh, I also just recently discovered my uh, uh, a cabinet that I knew I had, but I hadn't thought about it much in recent decades. And I had bought it from Eddie back when he did the women and children's first record. And, wow. And it, so it's the one that's stripped of Tolex. It's just bare wood and has the JBLs and the Celestians in it. The JBL D one twelve Fs and uh, I guess pre-roll of 20 Watts. And, uh, but I had never, but I, I, I took the back off it for some reason, uh, me and my tech uh, some months ago and Eddie had signed the inside of it, but, and I'd forgotten that. And he'd put, you know, the women and children, first tour or record, whatever, signed all that stuff in there. I was like blown away. So now when I play that, I play better because I know it was his, you know? Wow. That's awesome. And yeah. do you use that, that cabinet on seamless? I don't think so. Right. Okay. I, I, no, I don't think so. But, uh, you know, it's something now that I've pretty much centered centerpiece of my rig. But um, just cause you know, Whenever you play, you know, that's happened to me too. When I've played uh, venues that are, have historical significance. Like there's a, there's a club Corazon, I think it's called in uh, Seattle. And Hendrix stood on that stage and played and Kurt Cobain. So it's like, I'm standing in the same spot. You got to fucking, that's got to be channeling. You got to be inspired. You know what I mean? Right on. Yeah. It's just out of my mind inspired. It's like, holy fuck, you know? Uh, same as you play a big venue, you know, like an arena or something where, or, or even, you know, even the whiskey to an extent in Hollywood. I mean, Led Zeppelin played there, <laughs> you know, Judas Priest yeah. played on stage. It's I mean, countless people. So, and, and you're playing there December 17th and 18th. Do you remember yeah. playing there for the first time? I don't really remember the first whiskey gig to be honest i'm sorry we played so many clubs back then you know it was just constantly playing the troubadour the whiskey the starwood the this and then that you know there's there's like a dozen clubs but uh my favorite club to play was always the starwood starwood was like a mini arena it had that kind of vibe to it you know this was pa was way overpowered for the room <laughs> and the room was real tall and you had like an upstairs little balcony almost like you know uh, you know almost like thunderdome you know it's, right it was intense awesome and you will be coming through uh, my neck of the woods november 11th you're in new jersey with george lynch and the electric freedom doc and also on that bill can you talk about the electric freedom who's in the band and how that came about yeah it's a power trio power trip and it's uh, uh, Michael Devon is playing uh, playing bass and singing, doing all the lead vocals, and um, uh, Jason Sutter is on drums. And I, I mean, we're all having a fucking blast because it's just, you know, it's sort of it's sort of liberating losing the lynch mob yoke, <laughs> right? Because now. I'm not restricted in any way as to what I can do. The, the only thing that restricts me at this point is our own capabilities and time. Cause we haven't had a lot of time to really gel as a band and rehearse. We've had a few rehearsals, uh, 
but not enough to really go deep and, you know, kind of discover who we are. So we're in this kind of amorphous process of becoming who we are. And I, and I love it. I love it because it, every, every show is different. It's like a snowflake, you know, it's like, um, we like, in fact, before you, right before I called you, uh, I'm sitting here in my hotel room and I was just screwing around and I thought, Oh, you know, this is, this is a cool riff. So I just texted the guys. I made a little recording and then I texted to him. I go, let's, let's mess with this tonight. You know, right. On. Let's open up the show. Don't have a, don't have an opening tape. Cause that's, uh, you know, your intro tape, you know, it's like this false grandiosity, you know, but here they are, you know, flying down from the heavens with their angel wings and smoke machines. And, you know, I, I just how about we just walk out there and just fucking blow people's wet minds and play something, just make up something, you know, and uh, without a safety net, you know, and I love that idea. So that's what we can do that in this band. And we do it. We jam a lot. We do, you know, our own version of covers that could change from night to night. And of course we do Lynch Mob stuff as well. And, and occasionally dock and stuff and do Mr. Scary, you know, do all that. We try to give, do a balance of, we give people what they want. And then we try to challenge them a little bit and ourselves too, at the same time. Right on. And how has the vibe been out there with live concerts? Obviously we're hearing about this variant, the Delta variant, and is it feel safe and good out there on stage? Well, I'm very conflicted and I'm a, a supreme hypocrite because I'm, you know, safety, safety guy, you know, I'm double vaxxed and don't wear my mask everywhere. I, uh, but, and I'm real careful about travel and anything like that. Um, but I care about other people. And yet again, I play shows where I afford the opportunity for people to stand shoulder to shoulder without masks on and get sick. So, I'm not sure how to deal with that because, you know, it was really, as you know, you know, things were tamped down quite, quite nicely. And it looks like things were going sort of back to semi-normal there for a second. Yeah. And that's when we booked all these shows and now I'm contractually obligated to play these shows and, you know, paid for flights and paid for everything. You know, it's like, I mean, literally if I pulled out of this two week run, uh, whatever else I got contracted for, I'd get my ass sued. I'd get blackballed and, you know, I'd just be out of business it still doesn't make it right. So I try to make it as safe as possible. I cannot control what people do. Hopefully everybody is masked up and that's what I encourage people to do is mask up and try to stay distant. You know, obviously, right. you know, we play mostly outside venues. Um, I mean, on this run, we're playing one indoor venue in Houston, but it's a large, you know, amphitheater. Um, so uh, it's tricky. Yeah. It's a, right. it's a, it's a crazy time right now. Um, you know, I do understand music is important. It's a vital thing, just like food, air, water, and love. I mean, it's all that too. I mean, we need it, you know, um, for our sanity and our humanness <laughs> to be social creatures, you know, we can't, yeah. but it's, uh, we gotta be smart at the same time and, 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 and follow the science and do the right thing. So it is exasperating and frustrating to see people, uh, push back against that and very disappointing um, to see people do that because i mean we if we had all done collectively the right thing and done our duty we you know you know we're not getting shots of little government's not putting cameras in our bodies or anything yeah, right. that's why we don't have polio anymore let's just do that you know and uh we can get through this and, and get back to some semi-normalcy and 
Yeah, I'm with you 100%. I mean, I, I went out and bought all these tickets for these shows coming up, you know, including one at Madison Square Garden in like two weeks. And now I'm like thinking, I, I don't know. I, don't, I just don't know. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. I would I would say at least uh, double mask and uh, don't touch anybody. <laughs> right yeah, on. I mean, with, the, with this new virus, with this new strain, I mean, that's... I mean, they say it's, you know, it's just like cigarette smoke and that's transmittable, more transmittable than chicken pox. So I'd say, uh, I'd say no. Right. And, you know, I know what's going to get to people is when businesses, you know, since we don't have this kind of, you know, we're not uh, like some countries where people are sort of a high society and they work together collectively for the common good. We're this country of rugged, supposed individualists that don't need anybody else's help and, so we're all those independent people and, and, and operate that way to some extent. So but the way the things will change is through business because businesses' job is to make money and you don't make money by killing your customers. So, you, you know, they'll force, you know, vaccine uh, card mandates and all these kinds of things. And then that'll happen, you know, to go to work and to, and to go to a venue or get on a transportation or I don't know what, you know work at a hospital. And I think that'll be the new normal and it should be nothing wrong with that. Right on. You know, I don't see anybody crying about seatbelts, but I remember they used to when they had a seatbelt mandate and everybody, that's uh, seatbelts taking away my freedom and seatbelts was just you. That wasn't affecting anybody else. This is even way more of a issue where, you know, not only are you going to, potentially hurt yourself but you're going to hurt a whole bunch of other people too including people you love <laughs> potentially so you know i mean i know i'm, I'm preaching the choir here but right right no we'll i'm with you 100 percent. yeah well i will say that the the show i'm going to at the garden it was billed as vaccinated only and you have to bring your 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 vaccination card so we'll see how that good start although it can be obviously counterfeited very easily yes that, that is true Anyways, George, it is uh, 101. I know we have to wrap it up, so let's uh, let's just remind people. Seamless by George Lynch, out August 20th. Great stuff, really, George. Really enjoying the record and can't wait for people to hear the whole album. I know there's a single out now, but the whole album coming on August 20th. Yeah, Death by a Thousand Licks is, the, is this, I hate to call it a single. I mean, it's just this kind of afterthought. It's two parts, me, Brian Titchy, just going off. And it's just a vehicle for pure guitar insanity. I just go, okay, I'm going to play the craziest shit I can think of or not think. <laughs> and that's what I did. So, Right on. I don't know if you can call it a single. Right. First, first release off the record. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Thanks, George. Be well. We'll see you November 11th in New Jersey. Take care. Okay, bye. bye. George Lynch has a new record out on August 20th. It's called Seamless. It is good. I'm not lying to you. It's good. You know, the first single that, or George corrected me, it's not a single. The first song released off the album, I have to admit, is one of my least favorite on the record because there are some awesome, awesome songs on this record. And I I feel like the groove and, and even the melodies on some of the other songs are a little stronger. Not that that song's bad but just know if you hear that song and you're like yeah it's all right that there are some monster songs on this record cola is a great tune i think which i mentioned to uh to george falling apart which closes the record uh 
supersonic hypnotic groove thing, which is like UFO meets Joe Satriani meets like, you know, I don't know, like uh, modern day Lynch. It, it's it's really solid. That's probably the closest one you get to a straight ahead rocker on the on the album. Supersonic hypnotic groove thing but definitely a great listen and didn't get to ask him about seeing him 35 years ago almost to the day on the uh fuel for life tour with judas priest that was when dokken opened up for judas priest wanted to ask him about that no time wanted to ask him about his work with Corey glover in ultraphonics Corey glover of course from living color fame a uh, lot of questions i didn't get to but anyways uh the dokken box set that Pilsen mentioned recently. I wanted to ask him about that, but no time. So we'll have to get back with George soon. And that I believe was like my fifth time interviewing George. And I had three great interviews with him. The fourth one I felt like was a disaster. That was an in-person one with him, Robert Mason and Scott Coogan. And it was just off the rails and George didn't seem in the best of, of moods that day. Um, but this made up for it. I felt like we had a great conversation today and I appreciated his time and I appreciate his new music. I appreciate you for listening to this. I did want to mention a couple Twitter polls before we log off here. I threw out there on the Twitter, which is at talkingmetal.com, a couple polls. So let's see how these are doing. These polls haven't actually closed yet. So these aren't final results. I suppose I should be waiting for the final results before I announce them on on my podcast. But the first poll I did was, which classic commercial hard rock band is your favorite? The choices were Dokken, Rat, Poison, Quiet Riot. Well, I guess this isn't too surprising since they sold a lot of records, but Poison squeaking it out with 30%, Rat at 29%, Dokken at 23%, Quiet Riot at 18% with still five hours to go. By the time I post this podcast, there'll probably be about one hour to go, but you can go vote on that. Uh, The other question I asked was, when will you feel comfortable attending a packed indoor concert, arena concert? not club concert. When will you feel comfortable attending a packed indoor arena concert? Uh, The choices were months ago, now, this fall, sometime in 2022. So I found this surprising, guys, but I guess with the Delta variant, it shouldn't be. 51% said they're, you know, out of 70 people voting that they aren't going to be ready for concerts in a packed arena until 2022. Wow. That is, that is nuts. Uh, or maybe it's not. I don't know. I'm so confused by, by this COVID stuff at this point. Uh, so 13% they said they were ready months ago. 26% say they're ready now. I guess that would kind of be me, although now I'm starting to scratch my head a little bit. 10% said this fall. And again, 51% said sometime in 2022. Uh, I appreciate you guys taking time to vote in my polls I really, really appreciate everyone who supports me on Patreon. I have all size t-shirts in now from small to uh, what, triple, triple L. So you big guys out there, you know, join me on Patreon for $5 a month, you get a t-shirt. Same for you little guys and medium sized guys. Everyone, we have all the sizes you need on Patreon. You gotta do $5 a month for that, all right? 
Thanks again, guys. And uh, again, support our sponsors that you hear at the beginning of each podcast. I don't make uh, a ton of money off of those, but they do help with my hosting fees that I uh, get those ads through Art19, and they also do my my hosting for the podcast, a great company, Art19. Really appreciate everything they do for me. They don't work with a lot of independent people like myself, so I feel um, fortunate to have uh, those guys on my team and on my side. We'll talk to you later. Thank you to everyone for listening. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.